0: Please take your copy of God's Word. Let's turn together to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Our text this morning begins in verse 18 and actually extends to chapter 2 verse 5. Um, uh, The preaching schedule is a little weird uh, for me uh, because last week we had missions conference and next week uh, Sarah and I and our kids will be in Hattiesburg. Uh, celebrating the 140th anniversary of First Presbyterian Church, and I'll be preaching in the morning. And so uh, this Sunday was a little bit of a one-off, and it seemed appropriate to direct our attention here uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and especially to Paul as he declares to us uh, what really is our mission. In many ways, I hope this morning is a bit of a reset for us, a refocus, that we might focus our hearts and minds on what it is we're here for, what we're doing, As a church, as Independent Presbyterian Church, as we have it in the bulletin, uh, we preach Christ crucified. That's what God's called us to do. We're going to see why here as we turn our attention to God's Word, but first we need to ask Him for His help. Would you pray with me, please? Almighty God, we do come to you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and we pray that you would grant us uh, the fullness of your Spirit this morning. Father and Son, send the Spirit Uh, May he come down into our midst and take his holy word so that as our eyes are opened by his power and our hearts are open to receive the message that we might hear the very word of God to us. Lord Jesus, we desire to see you high and lifted up, magnified and glorified. Grant us this grace we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And I but in the power of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So on my laptop, uh, the image that I see every day, all day is is one of the most famous paintings of the Reformation. It was painted by Martin Luther's friend, Lucas Cranach the Elder, and it was a completed a, about a year after Martin Luther died. It was installed as part of the the altar piece at City Church Wittenberg. You can see it to this day right behind the altar is this painting that was painted in 1547. It it was a triptych, a a three-part painting. In the left-hand panel, if you were to see it or go online, you can see it today. In the left-hand panel is the the congregation old and young, presumably rich and poor, and and all of their gazes are turned upward, and your gaze is is following their gaze. In the right-hand panel, there's Luther in a kind of window pulpit. The Bible is open before him, and he has his hand on the Bible, and he has his other hand, and he's pointing so that our eyes are directed both by the congregation looking up and by Luther's hand pointing out. And our gaze then is directed to the center panel. And there in the center panel is Christ crucified, Christ on the cross. And so the congregation's gaze is directed to Christ crucified. Luther, as he's preaching from God's word, is pointing to Christ crucified. And and the message then is plain. For God's people, for a Reformation people, both preacher and people direct their gaze to Jesus the crucified one. I have that painting on my computer to remind me of what I need. I need Christ crucified. And I have it on my computer to remind me of what you need. You and I, we need the same thing. We need Jesus Christ, the crucified one. The people to whom Paul is written here, they need Christ crucified too. If we had taken the time to read the first 17 verses of this letter to set the context for verse 18, we would have seen why they need Christ crucified. Because the Corinthian church is, seems hopelessly divided, quarreling with each other, forming parties, and presumably each party is running down the others. and And if something doesn't happen soon, they might split into... First Presbyterian Church Corinth, and maybe they'd call the other church Friendship Presbyterian Church or some such thing. What would you do? What would you do if you were part of a church that seemed hopelessly divided, quarreling with each other, forming parties and, God forbid, running down one another? Well, perhaps you'd be tempted to do what I'm all all too often tempted to do, which is you you would want to just simply tell everyone to just stop it, right? Sometimes when I need a good chuckle. Uh, I, I go on YouTube and I, I Google in YouTube this video. It's a two-minute video. It was produced by uh, a company called Friend Dog Studios. It's called Honest Preacher. If you want a good chuckle, you can look it up this afternoon. But but in the, the short two-minute video, the Honest Preacher goes and he tells his congregation to stop being bad because they're supposed to be good. And he concludes it all by taking his Bible and flipping. And he says, oh, look, Jesus says, stop it the word of the Lord. <laughs> and that's our temptation, isn't it? When conflict comes, when division comes, we, we just want to tell everyone to just stop it. But that's not what Paul does, is it? No, instead he brings them back, his people. He brings them back to Christ crucified. He brings them back to the cross of Christ Can I suggest something to you this morning? Look, for many of you, it's no secret. We've been just here in 1 Corinthians 1 for a while. In a place of feeling divided and quarreling and knowing some measure of difficulty. But our way forward is the same as the Corinthians. It's to focus our hearts and our minds and our attention and our gaze on Christ crucified. And to return to the proclamation of the cross. You see, Paul tells the Corinthians here, and he tells us here, that the proclamation of the cross, of Christ crucified, is what he came to do, and and what the people need. He says it right at the end of the previous section. He didn't come to baptize, but to preach the cross of Christ. Why is this the case? Why why does Paul have this clear sense of mission that that he has come to give the word of the cross, and, and this is especially what his people need at this time? Well, it's the case because the proclamation of the cross, the, the word of the cross, it unmasks all our pride. Notice the language of verse 18. You see it there. Paul says the, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved it is the power of God. The, the proclamation of the cross, the, 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 the word of the cross is is folly to those who are perishing. That, that word folly, it's an interesting one. It shows up all the time in the Old Testament, and especially in the wisdom literature, Job and Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs. You, you'll hear Lady Folly described and, and foolishness and and folly repeatedly discussed, but same is true in Greek philosophy. Wisdom and folly is all through the, the, the key Greek philosophers, but it's notable that, that folly doesn't actually show up all that much in the New Testament. In fact, most of the uses of the word folly or foolish or foolishness show up in 1 Corinthians, and they show up actually in the first three chapters of this letter. So why does Paul use that word, and, and what does folly communicate? Well, folly communicates a certain kind of judgment. What is worthwhile? what is significant, what's important, and especially what's not, those who are perishing then, they they look at the word of the cross, they look at the proclamation of the cross as pointless, insignificant, unimportant, namely, folly. In contrast, what, what do those who are perishing, what do they value? Well, power and wisdom, or perhaps better, worldly power and worldly wisdom, they value knowing how things work in the world and then having the ability and the connections and the networking to make those things happen. They prize wealth, which can actually accomplish what, what the world seems to be, to, uh, what's in the view of the world to be wise and what the world views to be powerful. That, that's what's really important. Everything else is folly. So in the light of that, in the light of the valuing of power and wisdom, Is it any wonder that when Paul proclaims the cross of Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation, that people look at him and his message and they say, that's folly, that's foolishness, it's pointless, insignificant, it's worthless. But what is the proclamation of the cross doing here? Well, it's it's unmasking the pride and arrogance of those who are perishing, isn't it? Paul's quotation in in chapter 1, verse 19, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. That comes from Isaiah 29. And Paul uses that passage to tell us that the proclamation of the cross destroys worldly wisdom. It thwarts worldly discernment. It dismantles worldly power. In other words, the preaching of the cross, the proclamation of the cross, the word of the cross, God uses that to show how utterly foolish Worldly wisdom and worldly power actually is. It's by by Jesus Christ crucified for us, murdered for us, hung, impaled, can I say it, lynched for us. That's that's the way that God saves. And to believe that, that this is how God saves us, through a crucified man, is to set aside all of our commitments to worldly power and to worldly wisdom and to networking and wealth and everything else is to have our pride unmasked, to be utterly humbled, and so to be in a position for God to remake us, for God to to regenerate us, to rescue us. I mean, how are we remade? Well, Paul says, through God's calling, through God's power, through God's wisdom, as we come to rest our hearts in Christ crucified. Paul says, Jesus Christ, the crucified one, is the power of God. What an oxymoron that appears to be. One who was stripped of all his power, stripped of all of his influence. In fact, was stripped of even all his clothes, who was hung on a cross, executed by Roman power. He's God's power? Yes, for the weakness of God is stronger than any human power. Jesus Christ, the crucified one, Paul says, is the true wisdom of God. What an oxymoron that appears to be. One who couldn't deliver himself from the machinations of the Pharisees, or the machine of Pilate, who was nailed to the cross, who, who may have taught wonderful things, but how, what value did those wonderful things, those wise words, do him in the end? He's God's wisdom? Yes, for the foolishness of God is wiser than any human wisdom. And why was Jesus crucified? So that through God's weakness and God's folly, you and I, we might know God's power. So that as he humbles us and he amasses our pride, we might be remade. We might be saved. We might be rescued, delivered, both now and in the age to come. Now, Now, why did Paul think that the proclamation of the cross The proclamation of Christ crucified was what the Corinthian church needed in their hopelessly divided, quarreling, party-forming situation. I think it's because he wanted them to see themselves as they really are, as as the people of the cross. Now, Now, to be the people of the cross doesn't mean you have a cross in your sanctuary, although, of course, we do. Now, to be the people of the cross doesn't mean that you have a cross hanging around your neck, although I have one right now that I wear. To be the people of the cross doesn't mean that we understand and can explain substitutionary atonement, or or we make sure that our children understand that, that Jesus died for our sins, although that's very much important. But that's not why Paul brings this forward here, why he stresses for his people at this point and in their condition that we preach Christ crucified. No, the proclamation of the cross that forms us into the people of the cross serves to humble our pride. Serves to humble our lust for power. Serves to humble our clinging to worldly wisdom. And instead, it causes us to reform our vision of what, of what the church should be. Because Paul tells us here that a church made up of people of the cross should be wonderfully Diverse. I mean, what does Paul say in verses 26 to 29? He says, "Mm, some of you, Corinthians, you certainly were wise. Some of you were powerful. Some of you were noble. Some of you are well-connected members of Corinthian Country Club or members of the Corinthian City Council. But most of you are not. No, look at yourself, he says. Look look at the people that God's called, that that God has chosen. There's young and middle-aged and old There's PhDs and high school dropouts. There's CEOs and those struggling to keep their jobs. There's high society carnival types and blue collar folk. There are those who were really something in the eyes of the world, but there were far more of those who were actually nothing in the eyes of the world. There were those who were strong, both mentally and physically, but there were those who were physically or mentally weak the blind, the lame, those who were losing their memories or losing their mind. They're all there. Can I go further? that there were people of different races and ethnicities at First Presbyterian Church Corinth. Paul says that. Both Jews and Gentiles were there. Different economic statuses, different political parties. They weren't afraid of diversity and inclusion, and those were not bad words. That's what God had done for them. That's what the Bible says. Look at it. God God says through Paul, "Consider your calling, brothers." God shows verse 27. God chose, verse 28, God chose. Who chose these people? Who put them together, this diverse group? God did. And he did it by the preaching of the cross, by the proclamation of the cross, which made them people of the cross. And why did God form his people this way? Verse 29, so that no human being might boast in his sight. And then he quotes Jeremiah 9, and at the end of the chapter in verse 31, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. In other words, because the proclamation of the cross unmasks our pride and reforms us individually and collectively as God's people, it serves to humble us. I didn't get into the people of God. I didn't get in here, and neither did you, because we're so great. Uh, it's not because we were able to trophy our, our, our qualifications, and God says, oh, you're, you're really wise, or you're really powerful, or, you're really well-connected, or you're really wealthy. You would do me a favor if you would be part of the people of God. It didn't work that way at all. No, all of this was folly to us, unless God, through Jesus by the Spirit, opened our eyes to see Jesus Christ, the crucified one, as the power and wisdom of God until we were utterly humbled and brought to the very end of ourselves and we knew we couldn't rescue ourselves and that's when we saw that Christ crucified was beautiful, a beautiful way of salvation for us. We had to be humbled by the cross of Christ. And guess what? Humble people aren't fighting with each other. Humble people aren't quarreling, forming parties, running one another down. Humble people aren't looking for a way to, to leave First Presbyterian Corinth to form Friendship Presbyterian Corinth. No, no, a humble people that prizes our diversity recognizes that we are unified in the only way that really matters. Paul tells you what that is in verse 30. Do you see it? And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. All of that diversity that he describes in verses 26 to 29 is brought together in the only unity that actually matters. We are in Jesus Christ, the crucified one. Don't you see it? You and I have far more in common with each other than, the, than our skin color, or our economic status, or our educational background, or our positions in society. We're in Christ Jesus We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We have Christ as our wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. And listen, we have far more in common with our brothers and sisters at at Innovation Church, or St. Paul Baptist Church, or our brothers and sisters in a Korean Presbyterian Church, or Chinese Christian Church, than we do in our country clubs or carnivals or civic organizations. And that's because we are unified by our common union with Jesus Christ, the crucified one. Let me go one step further even though many of our friends have left us, we have far more in common with Christ's covenant reformed church than they might realize because we are all brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, all humbled by Christ's cross, all united in Christ by the Spirit so that He is our wisdom, He's our righteousness, He's our sanctification, He's our redemption. We are all at the foot of the cross and when we stand, all of us, before the throne of God at the end of the age, we will all be pleading the blood and righteousness of Jesus Christ. Friends, that's why I make no apology every week for the preaching of the cross because our only hope for final salvation and our only hope for life together before final salvation until Jesus returns is Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's through the apparently weak means of preaching that we we come to know and to rest our hearts in Jesus Christ, the crucified one. Friends, these are weak means. I'm standing up for 30 minutes and explaining the Bible and trying to apply it. The, the the world rightly looks at this as folly. These are weak means. And I confess, I am a weak preacher. I know. I don't use a lot of stories. Uh, I use very short illustrations, most of them hymn texts. I, I don't have a lot of rhetorical tricks. If you were to compare the preaching at IPC week by week, why, at what you might find at other places on the internet or podcasts or even here in this city, it might suffer by comparison. But there is one thing I know. When I stand in this pulpit, as I've had now for over five years, my only goal is to explain this Bible to you and to point you to Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I will do so as long as God gives me breath over and over and over. I want you to see Jesus. I want you to see Jesus so that your faith will not rest in the wisdom of men or in the power of my eloquence. I don't want disciples I don't want followers. God forbid that anyone would call themselves a leukocyte, which is a terrible name for a political party. <laughs> no, my only desire is to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified so that you will be, that we will be a Jesus church. You've heard me say that over and again. I just want us to be a Jesus church, to love Jesus more today than we did yesterday, more tomorrow than we do today. Paul Koistra, the the former president of Covenant Seminary and head of MTW, he beat that into my heart 20 years ago. It has been my North Star of what I want for myself and for us. Because if we are a Jesus church, and we love Jesus more today than yesterday and more tomorrow than we do today, we're going to love what Jesus loves. And we're going to love whom Jesus loves and for whom Jesus died. Friends, that's why I have that picture, that Lucas Cranic picture on my laptop. It's why I stare at it all day, every day. It's because I want to know, and I want you to know, that this is our call. We preach Christ crucified, which is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, please help us. Since 1965, that's been the task of this place and these people. It's what you've given us to do. It's to preach Christ and Him crucified. Lord, our deep longing is to love you more today than we do yesterday and more tomorrow than today. And we know, Lord, that that the only way anyone becomes new and any way our city might bear some marks of, of newness is for men and women and boys and girls to come in faith to Jesus Christ and to rest their hearts in the crucified one. So Lord, please, encourage our hearts. Reset our focus. May we remember what we are about and why we are united to one another. And may we be given grace as long as we have breath. Grant us grace to lift high the cross. Grant us that grace, Lord, we ask. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.